thus the nickname. What are we going to do tonight? Gino asked restlessly. The boys mumbled among themselves. I say we have some fun. Gino asserted himself, and they set off downtown with Gino in the lead. He was the first one to spot the car, a long, sleek, white and brown job parked casually with, he could hardly believe their luck, the keys in the ignition. It took only seconds for the boys to squeeze themselves in and, quick as a flash, Gino in the driver's seat, naturally, shut away from the curb. Since leaving school the previous month, he'd been working as an auto mechanic and had picked up a good knowledge of cars. He'd realised at once that driving came naturally to him, and after an initial clashing of the gears, they were off and running smoothly. All the way to Coney Island, where they parked the car and ran riot along the beach, screaming and laughing, scooping up clumps of sand and flinging it over each other. They were easy pickings for the patrolman who waited patiently by the stolen car, gun in hand. It was the first time Gino had been in trouble with the police. He was given one year at the New York Protectory for boys, a tough home in the Bronx for orphans and petty criminals. Gino immediately felt threatened and hemmed in. The brothers in charge of the place were a hard bunch of men. Discipline was the order of the day, and messing with the young boys was sometimes the order of the night. He was given a job in the tailor shop, which he hated. Brother Philippe ran the shop with a rod of steel, and any boy caught slacking off got a beating with his yardstick. When he'd been there six months, a skinny little orphan, not yet thirteen, arrived. The boy, named Costa, was easy meat for Brother Philippe, who wasted no time in going after him. The other boys watched blankly as Brother Philippe would frog-march Costa into the back room and do things to him that caused the small boy to scream out in agony. Gino, along with the others, did nothing. The next time Costa was singled out, Gino felt himself tense up. The small boy was whimpering and objecting, but Brother Philippe dragged him by the arm and slammed the door of the back room shut anyway. Gino was ready for action. He picked up some scissors lying on a worktop and followed. Opening the door, he saw Costa bent across a table, his trousers and shorts around his ankles, and Brother Philippe, fly undone, poised for another thrust at the skinny child's ass. The bastard did not even bother to look up, so intent was he on his own pleasure. As he entered the boy, plunging and tearing at his insides, Costa screamed out in pain. Gino acted unthinkingly, lunging at Brother Philippe with the scissors. They tore through the big man's jacket, stabbing him in the arm. Get off him, you stinking bastard! Leave him alone! Gino yelled. Brother Philippe, taken by surprise and on the point of climax, attempted to shake him off. It was a mistake. Gino's temper was out of control. In his mind, it was his father he was attacking. It was Paolo he was stabbing, and he did not stop until the dirty son of a bitch slumped to the ground. Then the haze lifted, and he could see clearly again, and what he saw didn't look good. Carrie, 1913 to 1926. It had been a long, hot summer in Philadelphia. Lurleen Jones sat on the bed she shared with her six-year-old brother, Leroy. She was 13 years old and seven and a half months pregnant. There was no one she could turn to, 
She had no father, and her mother, Ella, a thin, racked woman, sold her body for drugs and booze. Leroy whined, and Lurline lay down on the bed next to him. Downstairs she could hear her mother's friends arrive, and soon loud music and bawdy laughter drifted up the stairs. She stuffed cotton wool into her ears. It took a while, but at last sleep came. Lurleen was having a nightmare. She felt like she was suffocating. She could hear herself screaming. Abruptly, she opened her eyes. There was screaming. She jumped out of bed and smelled the smoke before she opened the bedroom door and it came piling in. She began to choke and forced herself out of the room, realizing that the house was on fire. The flames were already licking at the top of the stairs. Frantically, she rushed back into the bedroom, forced open the window, and yelled at the people milling around outside to catch Leroy. Then she dragged her little brother from the...